can have the annex there. That'd be a great use for the annex. Don't you agree, church, for them to come and stay with us? I know Jim is always happy to open up his home too, so not to put pressure on uh, you to not be at Jim's, but uh, they might have special fellowship there. I don't know. Anyhow. All right. Well, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to say thank you, Brother Travis, for being up here. So thank you, Brother Travis. Uh, I rarely get to do that. So thank you for being up here. I think the Slagles probably remember them when they were here, right? You guys were here. And maybe the pauses might have been here. Were you all here when he was here? I think so. So there's a couple families that remember them. All right. So anyway, uh, if, there's, if you want more information on him, there's a board. There's like a hallway of missionaries when you go left out of here. And they have a newsletter that they send out every, I think, quarter or spring and fall. And you'll see one of, one of the copies on there with their contact information. So it's right up there on the board. So, all right. Thank you all. Um, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I'm actually going to not get to 37 today. We're just going to cut it off at 36. But every good sermon is like deli meat. You can just cut it where you need to, right? And just stop cutting where you need to stop. So, uh, so here we go. Let's, uh, let's look at the Word of God together. Hear the Word of God, church. As he said these things, a woman in the, in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman who bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a, ce- in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in your darkness, lest the light in you be darkness. If your whole body is full of light... Having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts today. Okay, if you were here last week, if you're with us the first time or first time in a long time, we've been working through the book of Luke. And we have just seen in chapter 11, he has... Uh, delivered a man who had a demon and he was mute and then he was able to speak. And now in these verses, uh, we see uh, a, it feels, as we look through this, disconjointed. Like when I sat down in my study and I read this text the first time, like I just read it to you, it feels like, okay, uh, there's a woman giving praise and then there's uh, something about Jonah and then there's a light light in your eye and like how does this all work together what is really happening in this text and so I'm going to see if I can't pull this all together I had to kind of think about this this week and study this and I, I see in this text today three cautions or three dangers 
for believers, as well as three commands that are in this text. That's what I think Dr. Luke is having us focus our attention on. So let's, let's start at the beginning, verse 27. And he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, now, when you read what she said, it feels weird in our culture <laughs> because nobody talks this way in 21st century America. Like we don't say, uh, blessed was your mother for carrying you and you suckling at her breast. Like no one says that in our culture. So when we read this, we're like, uh, this is a little weird and awkward for us. What do we normally say in our culture? We normally say what? I bet your parents are so proud, right? That's kind of a, an, a, of a close equivalent, but not quite the same. But in ancient Middle East, this is a typical form of praise, all right? This would have been common in that time to give praise and glory for those that they were glad to hear and see what they have done. Uh, you know, as a preacher, I'm going to say this. I really like it when people interact with me while I'm preaching. Like, I like a little amen or that's right or whatever it is you feel like you need to say. Uh, it's encouraging. It's helpful. At least let me know one and a minimum you're not asleep or worse yet you're not dead like because I had a friend one time he was preaching in a church and somebody died in the back pew in the middle of the service I don't know what you do if you just go ahead and finish the sermon because you can't help the guy anyway or if you go ahead and just end it right there right so every now and then call and response give me an amen or yeah that's right or you know preach on something you know it, it's encouraging um, and a couple of things we see here in this praise that she gives right first of all uh, and, and this is this is just a truth and a reality. If, if you have been blessed to be a mother, God has really given you a blessing. Ladies, all you ladies in the room that have carried children, would you agree when I say that is a tremendous blessing to be a mother and to carry a child and to deliver a child? And uh, the, that relationship you have with that child is different than any other human relationship you have on the planet, right? I mean, it's just different. And so that is a huge blessing. And to nurse that child, to bring that child to health, and to help that child, huge blessing. But as big of a blessing as that is, Jesus kind of stops her in this praise. And what does he say? There is a greater blessing still than being a mother and carrying a child and bringing them, uh, raising them and, and keeping them nutritious. And look what it says in verse 28. Blessed rather are those who what, church? Hear the word and what? Keep it. So here's, here's the first danger in the text. This is the first caution. The first caution, and this is particularly here in an area like the Bible Belt where we hear the word a lot. I bought a bag of breath mints this week, or candies, little strawberry and cream candies from uh, Food City. Have you ever got those things? They got scripture on them. Did you know that? So these little mints, I get out a mint and I read my scripture and I praise the Lord and I enjoy a mint. It's like a double enjoyment, you know, double blessing. But here's the, here's the danger. There's a danger of praising. So you eat that mint and give praise to God without obeying, right? The danger of praising without obeying. Uh, we're not sure if this woman was truly following God or not. Uh, you know, in, a, in an area like this, where it, what makes it hard here is so many people are familiar with the Bible. They're, they're familiar with Scripture, but they're not convinced of it and they're sort of almost like an inoculated status like they think they're fine with their understanding of scripture but they don't truly believe and we're going to see this unfold in the next point here so what's the command so that's the danger in the first part here what's the command the command is this you must respond to the hearing of the word 
in obedience. That's the, that's the command that's here. You must respond in obedience. There is a danger of hearing uh, the word here. or There's a danger of giving praise to God. Oh, praise the Lord. And then not obeying. And so the call here is to respond in obedience. Second part here, as we move on down. We are going to see this discussion of the sign of Jonah. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. All right. This has been a human problem for a long, long time. Okay. Um, one of my favorite Old Testament figures is Gideon. Right? How many of y'all remember the story of Gideon? It, was, it is an excellent story. When we first meet Gideon in the Old Testament, he is threshing wheat in a valley. All right? You don't thresh wheat in a valley. You thresh wheat on a hilltop because there's lots of wind and it gets the chafe and blows it away. So if you're threshing wheat in a valley, guess what you're doing? You're hiding from someone. Uh, you don't want to be seen on a hilltop. You're hiding down in a valley. And an angel appears to Gideon and says, <clears throat> Gideon, man of valor. And I've always thought that was funny because he was doing a cowardly action by threshing in the valley. But, you know, God calls us sometimes what we are before we are that thing because he knows who we truly are, right? Well, Gideon is talking to this angel, and, he's, and the, the people are being oppressed at this time. He's wanting to know why, and he gives him the instruction what God wants to do. And he says, I want a sign. Well, if an angel of the Lord shows up in your backyard, that's a pretty good sign, don't you think? Like, what more of a sign do you want, right? Like, if you go home today, and there is a seraphim in your backyard talking to you, that should be enough, Right? That should be enough. And Gideon says, well, I'd like to have a sign. You know. Well, he could have picked that one, but that's not the one he picks. Jesus says here, this, this generation looks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, we, on Wednesday nights, I don't know if you've been watching online or coming to the study, but we just finished not long ago the book of Nahum. Nahum mirrors Jonah, except Nahum is the judgment of God on Nineveh. Jonah is, is quite different. It's the opposite in many ways of Nahum. Uh, what do we know about Jonah? Real quick. I'm just going to do this real fast. If you don't know this story, you can go home and read it this afternoon. It won't take you that long. Jonah is a prophet of God in Israel. God tells him, you're going to take a message to the Ninevites who are teetering on destruction. And you're going to tell them they need to repent of their sins and turn to me. So what does Jonah do like any good prophet of God? He books a ticket for Tarsus on the other side of the globe, as far away from Nineveh as it could possibly be, gets on that boat, runs into a little turbulence on the way, on the seas, and he tells them, throw me into the sea. And they didn't really want to do it. If you actually read that story, it's fascinating to me. Those pagan men that were on board, uh, they were like, no, we can find another way. He's like, no, you got to throw me in the ocean, but it's the only way you're going to survive this. So they throw him in the ocean. A whale or a large fish sometimes swallows him whole, and he spends not one, not two, but three days in the belly of a fish, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Stay with me for just a minute with Jonah. What do you think the inside of a whale's stomach feels and smells like and looks like? It's probably going to be pitch black dark, right? Now, some commentators have said Jonah actually died inside the belly of the whale as Christ was in the tomb how many days? How many days was Jonah in the belly of the whale? Oh my goodness, it's almost like there's a foreshadow here, right? Jonah and Jesus 
There's a shadow of one another here. I don't think Jonah was dead, and I'll tell you why. In the middle of the book of Jonah, it tells us while he was inside the belly of the well, he actually prayed. And I've been around a lot of dead people, physically dead people in my ministry time. And I'm yet to hear any of them sit up in their caskets and start praying out loud, right? Most dead people don't pray physically. So I think Jonah was alive praying from the inside of the whale. And then when he got vomited up onto the shore, can you imagine how fast Jonah must have ran to Nineveh? Like, it must have been kind of like Wile E. Coyote and the uh, Roadrunner, you know, where their feet don't even touch the ground. And he must have moved so fast to get into Nineveh to, to tell them the message uh, that they need to repent. And then I'm going to take a little pastoral liberty here. What I'm about to say is my own imagination, not what's in Scripture. Does everybody understand that? This is what I imagine it was like. When he was vomited up, I imagine those digestive juices that he was stewing in for the last three days probably ate holes in different parts of his clothes and his hair. He probably didn't have both eyebrows, maybe just one or none, which would have made it difficult to look surprised, right? You don't have any eyebrows. <laughs> he, he would have, could you imagine what he would have smelled like after three days of ruminating and stewing inside the side of a whale? I imagine it would have been something like asparagus and rotten fish in the sun for three or four days, spewed out, running through the streets saying, repent, God has commanded you to repent, right? Like, what would you do if you ran across somebody here in Carter County that looked and smelled like that, calling you to repentance? Would you call somebody at Woodridge and say, hey, somebody broke out, you need to come pick them up? Or would you actually listen to them and repent? Well, in the story from Jonah, the king of Nineveh issued a decree that all the people should repent. In fact, the, the decree was so extensive and the people took it so seriously that they even went into fasting and prayer that they made the cows fast too. Isn't that interesting that the cows had to fast in repentance as well? So that's the sign of Jonah, right? What are we learning here with Jonah? Well, we're learning this. Jonah is a demonstration of what? Judgment that is impending with a demonstration of deliverance in the middle of that. Do you see that? The, 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 the destruction is coming, the judgment is coming, but in the midst of that, before that happens, there's a demonstration of deliverance. These people before Jesus, are, is there a judgment coming that are listening to Jesus? You better believe it, right? What about for us now that is listening and looking at this text? Is there a judgment coming for us? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? There is here a declaration of judgment with a, with a demonstration of forgiveness, right? A demonstration of forgiveness. And then we move into this, speaking of the judgment here, there's this kind of twofold thing that is stated here. This is different than other sections of Scripture. We, we see an, I would call, relatively obscure character. Look at verse 30 here. Uh, move on. Next one, 31. Here we are. The queen of, Sh of the south. Uh, this is going back in the Old Testament. This would have most likely been the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, we don't know for certain, but it probably was. There is a, an account of her hearing about King Solomon. And when she heard about King Solomon, she wanted to see the wisdom that he had. Now listen to me. Moms, dads, boys and girls, everybody in between. No one ha ha that has ever drawn breath has been as wise as Solomon except... Jesus Christ that has inhabited a human body, right? It's just Solomon and Jesus, okay? Uh, if you're in Sunday school, you're studying what right now? Ecclesiastes. Guess who wrote that? Solomon. You're gleaming wisdom from him. 
the queen of the south rises up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. All right, what's going on here? Well, let's rewind the tape. What she do? She found out about Solomon's uh, giftings. And she goes to him. She wants to see it for herself. Not only does she go to him, she brings him riches from her country. All right, so she's bringing him basically kind of like an offering. And while she is there, he gives her wisdom. And then he does something even more profound than give her wisdom. That I, well, I don't know if it's more profound, but it's more, almost more interesting to me. He gives her back more wealth than she brought him as a gift. Isn't that interesting? Solomon blesses her with wisdom, and he blesses her financially. You know, right there, what do we see? We see an interesting picture. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance, and we come to him with everything that we have, what does Christ do? He takes what we have, but here's the thing. Have you ever gotten into a contest to try to outgive Jesus? Have you ever tried that? I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. You'll lose, but you'll be glad you did lose, right? Because Jesus will always outgive you. Whatever you think you will give for Christ and for the kingdom, he will outmatch you. He will definitely outmatch you. And so she is sent away richer and wiser. In a similar fashion here, uh, the calling to come to Christ. If these men will come to Christ, they will, be re- they will both receive a blessing of the wisdom of knowing what the Bible is truly pointing us to and the precepts that is there. But they will receive an inheritance that is beyond imagination. They will receive eternal life, right? And it says here, the queen of the south, a pagan, right? What, what's this, what is the... What does Jonah and the Queen of the South have in common? Well, here's what they have in common. They're not Jewish. They're pagans. They're part of pagan nations, right? And this right here is coming across as almost like a slap in the face. We're the Jews. We're God's chosen people. We're the ones that receive the blessings first. All people must come to us to, to know who God is. We, we are the, we're the stuff, man. It's us, right? And here, Jesus is telling them what? The men of Nineveh who repented, the pagans of Nineveh who repented, and the pagan queen of Sheba will rise up on the judgment day and will judge you for your unbelief. Is that not mind-blowing? It's mind-blowing to me, right? This is a twofold testimony against them. What are we getting at here? Well, we're getting at this simple thing. The command is this. You must repent and believe. It's very simple. What is the great sin of the Bible? What is the greatest of all sins, right? It's being an Alabama fan, obviously. Everybody should see that clearly in Scripture. Just kidding. It's Ohio State. No. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm serious this time. The great sin of the Scripture is this. It's unbelief. It is denying who Jesus is. It is denying who God is. It is denying the cross. It is denying every sign that the Lord has given. I mean, think about this. Those of you who've been with me as we've been working through this book in Luke, okay, either online or here, has Jesus performed miracles up to chapter 11? Has he delivered people from demonic possession? Has he miraculously healed people in Luke up to this point? Has he been able to uh, do things that no human being can do? The answer to all those three questions is what? Yes, yes, and yes, right? Absolutely, yes. So what more do you need, right? It's like the angel in the backyard. What do you want, right? What more do you want? Repent and believe. The great sin of Scripture is unbelief. Unbelief. All right, third movement here is in the last part, verse 33. This is about seeing without shining. 
Seeing without shining. That's the danger here, the warning here. Uh, Let's look at this in verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. This sounds a lot like what we've seen in Matthew. But on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. All right. Um, he's going to he's going to move here and talk about the human eye for just a minute. It's a little confusing, but I think we can break this down and make sense of it. The human eye is the main instrument we use for what perception, right? This is the thing we use to perceive and, and understand the environment that is around us. There's a Greek word here, which we get uh, integer. Those of you who are working with mathematics or have a degree in mathematics or are teachers or you're helping your kids with their homework, which is endless and hard to imagine now because I don't understand how math can be done differently in like 20 years. Like, isn't math just math? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, but in, integers are what? They, they talk about whole numbers. What is a whole number? Whole number is one that is not divided. Similar word, integrity. We get the word integrity from the same kind of Greek root there that mathematics gets their word integer from. What does it mean to have integrity? It means you are not divided. So you're not divided from Christ to something else. You're not divided from your wife to someone else. You are holistically devoted to one thing. You know, uh, it is about here in this passage keeping your eye on Christ. And it has an effect internally and externally as well. You know, our eye kind of adjusts to various light settings. Uh, how many of you have ever walked into a high-dollar restaurant and they turn the lights down? Have you ever noticed that in a lot of these restaurants? they got the lights down low. When you first walk in, especially if it's like a, a very bright, sunny day, similar to, the, I think it's still bright outside. It looks bright outside. And so, sunny day like today, you walk into that restaurant and you're kind of like, I can't, you know, you can't really see at first, right? Your eyes have to make the adjustment and sort of ratchet to where it is. And then your eyes get used to it and you can just kind of see like things are fairly normal, right? I think it's also a trick of the food industry. Did you know if you don't eat in well-lit places, you tend to eat more? Isn't that interesting? Studies fun. So I think it's also they make a little more money off of you. But then when you walk out of that restaurant, what? What, what does your eyes do? Oh my gosh, like when you walk back outside, it, it's like, it's painful. You know, Beck and I have not had a lot of fights in our household. You know what the number one thing we have fought over since we've been married for the last, like, uh, gosh, I had to, 16 years this May, it was there. I just think of it. It has been how many lights are going to be on in the house? Like, I don't like hardly any lights on. Like, I like it dark. Like, I, I, I think it, somebody in my family did one of those DNA things. I, I'm not as interested in it as they are. They're interested in it. And they said we are like Norwegian, Irish, you know, background, which explains why we like to fight. And some of us have drinking problems. But anyway, the, they don't have a lot of light up there. You know, the Scandinavians don't have a lot of light. So I talked to my optometrist about it. He said people are sometimes pre-genetically de- com- uh, they're predisposed to like lower light situations. And some like a lot of light. And Becky is the opposite side. So he said, you guys are just going to have to come to an agreement that you can both live with, right? So, you know, I'm always coming around the house trying to turn lights off. She's always looking for more lights to put up and light up and radiate things more. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always like, Beck, we're not making movies in here, right? We're just trying to live a, live a life in here. Not, not making videos in here. We're just, it's not a Hollywood production, right? So... So anyway, that's the only thing. But you know, here's the deal. It's what she needs to see. 
It's just different, right? Well, in a similar fashion here, you know, I, I was thinking about atheism this week and I was thinking about how it affects you as you constantly look at their narrative. And they have a worldview just like Christians do. In fact, I like what one apologist said. He said, atheism and the atheistic worldview is a fairy tale that atheists tell themselves to avoid the light of the gospel. And I thought, that's a really good truth. Another thing that uh, was highlighted this week, and as I was looking through, I found this quote, and I liked it a lot too. guy said this, and I don't know the author, so I can't pinpoint him down, but he said, atheism is a sin that Satan will himself dare not engage. It's a, 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 he knows, Satan knows there is a God, and he will not engage in atheism because he knows it's false. It's something that Satan himself won't even get into. Furthermore, Romans chapter 1 tells us what? Everyone all know that there is a God. There's enough in creation to see that. They just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Even the most hardened atheists like Richard Dawkins, there's times when things get quiet and he can feel eternity because he's built that way. All human beings are, are built to feel eternity and feel that there is God. They know it deep within the fiber of their being. What are we to do? Well, we're to fix our gaze squarely on Christ, right? Isn't that what this is about? The, the center of perception is to be fixed on who Jesus Christ is. You are to keep your eye on him. He will never change, but he will change you. It's funny. As you read scripture, and we try to always encourage people all year long, be in your Bible, read the Bible. Let me tell you what happens after you read the Bible for a while. If you haven't experienced this already. As you read scripture, here's what happens. There comes a point where scripture starts to read you. Did you know that? You stay in the word long enough, it starts to read you. It starts to interpret you. You begin to understand you by what? The precepts of the word. But that only happens if what? You keep your gaze fixed on Christ and you take in as much of his radiance and his beauty and his joy as you can. And when you do that, people notice it. It affects you on two levels. It affects you inwardly and whenever you have your gaze fixed on Christ, it will radiate out of you. Um, Beck and I have talked about this before. There's a lot of times there are young women or young men who don't know the Lord that are sometimes attracted to Christians. They can't figure it out in the dating world. But some of the things that they're attracted to is how they're radiating Christ in their personal walk. And it's spilling over. And they're attracting people, sometimes not even people, they don't know why, but they just radiate with that, 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 that light of the gospel. Rejection of Jesus is the absolute rejection of the light. The light inside will always shine on the outside. Here, here's the command. This is the closing command here. You must radiate the light of the gospel and the light of who Jesus is. You must radiate the light. It's becoming fall time, which means shorter days. And it also means something else is about to happen. This is one of my favorite times of year for many reasons. I love the colors in the mountains is one reason. And then the leaves fall, right? Don't they all fall off eventually? Hence the name fall. There is a Bradford pear in my front yard that I personally despise for multiple reasons. One, and every man in here is shaking his head, yes, yeah, so we know why, what you're about to say. It is a very weak tree. So it's only one bad windstorm or one ice storm away from falling over on my house or doing destruction in other areas. But I haven't cut it down yet because my mom and my kids, Becky not so much, but my mom and my kids are always like, 
we love this tree, Daddy. We like to climb it, and we like to take our Easter pictures in front of it. So I leave it for now. But I can't help an act of nature in the hand of God when it comes, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, here's what happens every fall. Every fall, I don't know why, that tree holds on to its leaves as long as it can. It holds on. And about mid-December, late December, there's going to be leaves up on this Bradford pear that have not turned loose yet. They're dead. They are dead leaves clinging to the limb that have not fallen off for whatever reason. And I've got options here, right? I could get out a ladder in late December into January, and I could climb up the ladder and spend a lot of time picking dead leaves off a tree, right? I could, like, fill my whole Saturday with picking dead leaves off of trees. Or, well, that's another option. That's the third option. Man, that's a lot more brutal than where I'm going, but there you go. John made it dark real fast. All right, here we go. Or I wait until the spring. And when the spring comes and new life and new sap hits that limb, what happens to that old leaf? Pushes it off, doesn't it? New life has a way of pushing what is dead out and off. It just does it. Listen, there's a lot of us, we spend way too much time getting out ladders and picking dead leaves off one another. Okay? When what we really need to be doing is praying and focusing on the light of Christ and that life will just push off what is dead to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word here. We thank you for the fact that we have been called by your marvelous light into this grace and this salvation. We pray this morning that we will not continue to pick off dead leaves off one another, but instead radiate the gospel in each other's lives. Lord, we can't do that on our own. It's not our, honestly, it is not our disposition. Our flesh, our hearts will not allow that. We, we can only do this by keeping our eyes fixed on you. God, turn everyone's eyes and hearts on you this morning. May they know you. May they love you in the way that we are being called to here. May we not be under the judgment of the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south and Ethiopia in the Old Testament, but rather may we join their ranks in, in being those who are believers and are amazed by the salvation that's given. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing a response right now. Remember we talked about the finger of God. What is the finger of God in chapter 11 pointing to? The finger of God this morning is pointing to the cross and the empty tomb. That's what it's pointing to in this passage. That's what the sign of Jonah is. It is deliverance in front and, and given and before imminent judgment and destruction. The question is, will you believe? Will you fix your gaze and your eyes upon Christ and Christ alone and not be divided if, if you've not done that, I'm going to be in the back. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you about it. Or if you just want to come back there and pray, I'll be there as we sing this song in response. Please stand.